Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about the things that matter in the world of financial services. On this week's podcast, IFA Magazine editor Sue Whitbread is focusing on some of the more interesting changes in the wealth management sector. Oh, yes, indeed. Thanks, Brandon. And it's Sue here, but there's been a lot going on in wealth management over the past couple of years. Um, and the tie-ups between Royal Bank of Canada and Bruin Dolphin, between Charles Stanley and Raymond James, and then most recently, Investec and Rathbones. And the deals have very much been focused on building synergies and scale and so-called operating efficiencies, well, aka cost cuts, uh, growth, but usually suspiciously little mention of the end client. They're rather important, aren't they? Uh, our podcast guest today is rather interested in what's going on in the sector, and he's, he's Richard Bacon, who is Head of Business Development at Shard Capital. Richard, Welcome to IFA Talk. It's really good to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Sue. Likewise, thank you for inviting me and, uh, and a really interesting topic, like you said. Mm, isn't it just? I think we'll do this as a, a game of two halves, this conversation. And for the first half, um, I'd love to get your thoughts on what you think the future of the wealth management sector looks like, then, given that picture I've just been describing. And perhaps then we can just more on to the uh, the impacts of this in the second half. Do you know, I, I don't wish to uh, alienate your audience at the outset, but I think the honest answer is I, I don't know. Um, but I, I think the... <laughs> we like an honest answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the, the important thing in my mind is there has been massive change, as you said. And I know every industry, um, you know, has change and regulation and, and pressures to evolve and, and stay current and relevant. But I think financial services, perhaps, you know, more than more than most has really, particularly over the, the period of time since the last financial crisis, um, has endured huge amounts of change from, from top to bottom, really. Every participant in our little ecosystem has, has felt the pressure of that. You know, to try and give you a bit more constructive answer on your question, I think the most important thing now is that there is some sort of deliberate choices and decisions made within our industry about about what 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 does happen to wealth management next you know i think for the last 12 years 13 years or so um we've sort of drifted on the breeze a little bit and we've perhaps um been slightly passive in in the response to the changes in regulation and that's brought us to where we are today. And I think there is a, an argument to say that there's an opportunity to really um, proactively drive that agenda a bit more. And I, I, I know I'm being slightly sort of vague in my answer, but um, a lot of that has to do with our end client, the end investor, and how they perceive our industry and what they are willing to, 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 to pay for in a way and the service they expect to receive in return. And uh, equally, on the investment side, um, yeah, the, the the service we're providing, how we package that, how we market that, how transparent we are, um, there's a massive opportunity, but I think um, it needs to be some proactive decisions at this point. Mm. So all of this M&A activity that we've been uh, looking at, really, do you think that that, what are the implications then for the smaller firms? 
is that going to squeeze them out of the market? I think it's certainly a, a very genuine concern, a, a really tangible possible um, outcome. Um, you know, I'm really conscious that it's quite easy to always be quite negative and, and defensive about change and and particularly with MA being um a topic that's driven by huge amounts of money by private equity whatever it may be and it seems a very alien environment to the small boutique investment manager wealth manager um and a world that perhaps isn't as, as familiar um i think the challenge is in some respects comes back to the consumer our end client and our end investor and um you know, we have been in a very, very unique uh, economic environment for the last 12 or 13 years. And um, that has been through regulators having to respond off the back of the last crisis. Uh, it's been through central bank policy uh, that has, has meant really that all assets have, have gently climbed in value. It's been a momentum driven market for a very, very long time. And that's that has been absolutely unique. And, it, and it's what it's meant is as an end investor, um, I could pretty much go and invest my money in any asset class, in passive vehicles, whatever it may be. And I looked thoroughly heroic. And I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, well, why do I need someone doing this job for me? You know, I, I, I almost couldn't lose. And so I think the, the role of an investment manager um, has been materially devalued over that period of time because the, their ability to add value for that excess fee um, has not really been a, a, a sort of trade worth making from an end investor point of view. Um, I think now, like, like most, that we are at the end of one economic era. We are moving into another. Um, and personally, I believe that will be a really opportune moment for um, investment managers to reassert the value that they add. However, um, the big catch is uh, the end consumer, the end client needs to be receptive to understanding that difference. And ultimately, dare I say it, they need to be willing to pay for it. Yeah, I think that cost element is really important, isn't it? And particularly if there are bigger, larger competitors in the market, will those cost pressures add a burden for the smaller firms that becomes impossible for them to, to do that? I think absolutely. It becomes a real challenge. Um, I think what almost needs to happen um, is a sort of, I think we've gone, I'm sorry to keep harking back to the sort of same old story on the past, but that's really given a really sort of fertile environment for fees to be reduced lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And, and you know, we we could over that 12, 13 year period, we could make the concept of discretionary management uh, have mass market appeal. Previously, I think it was the reserve of the sort of ultra wealthy, ultra high net worth clients that could use that service. Now we've we've tried to sort of democratize that and, and make it accessible to, to everybody. Um, we've seen fees come down and down and down, as I said, and, and that's really been due to these MPS type solutions being scalable, being quite passively dominated typically. Um, and then clients are in for a real shock if you turn around and say, well, you know, what you were paying 40 basis points for is now going to 
cost you 140 basis points. But, you know, I remember back to the start of my career and I worked for a number of investment houses and we had sort of fund to fund propositions. And the lesson that was installed in me then and still sits with me today was to always assess net of fees. So, you know, you could go into a US smaller companies fund that had an eye watering performance fee. But if net of fees, that fund manager consistently outperformed in, in all the various cycles, then really the fee was to some degree largely irrelevant. And I think that's been completely lost. You know, we have lived in this world where it's been very hard to differentiate yourself in terms of performance return over the last 12 years. So the key battleground has become about price. And it's become about who can be the cheapest this week and then who can shave another couple of percentage points off the following one. Um, that era is over. And I think um, it won't take long for investors to question the wisdom of being an investment product that, for example, charges them 0.4 of a percent per annum when they're potentially investing in a market where the index is going up and down by a percent a day. Um, you know. Mm, great point. Great point. And you can't have it always, can you? There are there are problems. There are economies of scale, but there are problems associated with that extra size too, aren't there? Well documented over decades. Uh, I wonder whether you think these recent acquisitions producing very large businesses uh, might mean that they end up with a very big client base. They may have other problems with normal market size, for example, getting access to the stocks they really want to get in and out of, being nimble when it comes to investment management. Uh, just your thoughts on those? Yeah, you know, I think it is um, it is un un unavoidable, undisputable that those issues are real uh, and they do exist. And um it's one of the greatest challenges in investment management i think is is not to become a victim of your own success um and ultimately that's tough that that means that if everything is going really well you ultimately have to get to a point where you you willingly turn new clients and new business away and that's that's a hard thing to do the thing that i think concerns me even more though is that the reality is when you have M&A activity, um, and quite often, as I said, that is, is funded by private equity partners that have a time horizon, have a moment in the future where they want to realise their gain and exit. Um, now, the benefits of scale of an economy, as we, we all know, is standardisation. And the greater that you are able to achieve that, whether overtly or covertly, the greater the benefits that that M&A activity will bring. And you mentioned costs coming down, scalability, etc. And, and, and therein lies the problem, you know, so we have transitioned away from your local friendly investment manager in their regional um, in their regional office that's looked after your family for perhaps several generations and is trying to deliver a, a very bespoke and a very actively managed investment solution for you. And we have moved, for all the reasons we've mentioned previously on today's uh, conversation, plus the desire for corporates to reduce their risk and yeah. to take 
autonomy away from investment managers as a means of reducing that risk to narrow the number of securities that they are happy for investment managers to buy for their clients through through buy lists and, and centralized uh, research forums so you know very gradually we have moved a very very long way from where we were and I as a client can't walk into that regional office anymore and it's very very rare for me to be served a bespoke investment solution far more likely that I will have a balanced label put on my file and I will go into one of five models um, the balanced one with, with the person that lives next to me and the person that sits next to me at the football and everybody else, you know, um, that, that concept of bespoke has been lost. And, and that is partly due to, to the M&A activity, you know, whether you are in the business of selling carpets or whether you're in the business of selling financial services, the greater you can achieve that uh, commonality, the greater the financial rewards that that M&A activity brings. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. Uh, Richard, we're, we're already reached the end of the first half. The referee's blown the whistle. So for our second half, um, I'd like to really focus in now on the, what you see as the positives and the negatives of the M&A activity. We've touched on it already. And does size really matter? Is bigger necessarily better? Or does, as we've just alluded to just now, that big isn't necessarily beautiful? Um, again, I don't think it, unfortunately, is as black and white as we would, we would like it to be. Um, look, size is important. And it's important in terms of delivery of service. So our industry in the UK is very mature very very competitive um there are some very big established brands doing a very good job and and they haven't got to that position of sort of market dominance by accident it's been through delivering a consistently good service and um being very good at the relationship building with their client that that sits behind behind that so there is a certain demand from consumers for your business to um to compete on a certain stage if i can put it that way you need to have a very good accessible app that also works on your mobile you need to have a, a very accessible portal to view and review your 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 portfolio to have secure messaging about your trades and transactions whatever it may be you know so i'm picking one sort of example on the tech side there but the points consistent across a number of areas it takes a huge amount of money to develop systems and infrastructure to deliver a really top-notch client service in, in today's modern age. And therefore, of course, M&A works really, really well because you have the deep pockets, you have the backing, you have the motivation, the drive, because you want to realize the, the, the positive um, financial outcome. And in that sense, um, that is really important. And I think big perhaps is better in, in that way. Um, you know, and also I'm not, it's very easy in our industry to get sort of very blinkered into everything being about investment returns. 
Um, and as I'm sure many of your listeners will agree, you know, clients would willingly give up one, two, three, five percent per annum if everything is in one place, makes their lives easier, it all works really well. You know, it's sometimes like the investment piece in its in its own entity is almost not the least important, but you know, it's not is not the most important. It's a component part. Um, so again, I'm probably dodging your question. I apologize once again. <laughs> I think, you know, no, not not <laughs> I think big has um has many, many, many advantages. And that's why it's been so attractive. And that's why MA has been so prolific in our sector. However, I personally, uh, and I may be biased in many ways, but I think uh, that the smaller players have a huge opportunity to almost walk into the void that's been created by the bigger firms changing how they deliver their service. Now, the challenge, of course, that the smaller firms have is they don't have the deep pockets. They they perhaps don't have so, so polished and robust infrastructure behind them. Um, and they have the biggest challenge any business faces of of making consumers know that they're there and making consumers appreciate the differences that they can deliver and bring. And, and, you know, easy to say, very, very hard to do. But they do have an opportunity, those smaller players, that I don't think we could have said was perhaps there five, six, seven years ago, because they almost now have that vacated ground where they can deliver a really bespoke really hands-on almost old-fashioned form of, of investment management um but as i said so it's it's about how do you make clients appreciate the difference know that you're there and and recognize that actually most are probably quite happy as they are thank you very much you know mm. no i agree and operational as we just alluded to earlier operational efficiencies they can only go so far can't they uh, but the good thing is that advisors do have choice. They do have a choice between very large firms and smaller firms. And so it's it's being aware of that and playing to the strengths of those individuals, isn't it? And maximizing the choice that they have available. Um, can I take you down the client alley now? I know it was something that we both wanted to really focus in on. And the, looking at the upsides from the client's perspective, uh, they are super important in this, aren't they, after all? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I sort of don't want to walk myself on too much uh, dangerous ground, as it were. But I, I find it quite staggering, really, that we've been through successive waves of enhanced regulation in our industry, all of which are, as they should be, very, very squarely rooted on improving client end outcomes, improving client experience. And, and all the, the time and expense um, that businesses incur adapting their businesses, making sure that they're at the leading edge of, of regulation change and, and they can absolutely meet those requirements. Against that backdrop, it seems quite conflicting that we've been under this wave of relentless M&A activity where almost weekly you, you pick up a publication that tells you about the next big deal. Um, and there's no mention of the client. And I think that's what you said mm -hmm. at the very start. There's no mention of, of the end client. Um, and what does that merger or acquisition ultimately mean? And 
you know, perhaps it's not the right forum to, to pick out individual names, but there's a there's a very big deal that, that went through in recent weeks that, that you referred to at the start of the call with uh, Rathbones and, and Investec. And there has been some negative media about their own staff, their own investment managers, um, not being particularly comfortable with the direction that that's, that's taking them because of the service that they want to provide their clients. And they feel that they perhaps won't be able to or will be compromised going forward. So, um, you know, it's not just you and I hypothesizing on, on what we think might be happening, but, you know, tangible evidence, as I said, that these concerns are very, very real. Um, so I think there is a risk to the end consumer. I, I absolutely do. Um, but it comes back to what we were saying, perhaps when we first started talking, that almost the environment we've been operating in has has kind of hidden all these concerns. And it's only now that we're emerging into this new era with, you know, higher inflation, with stimulus now withdrawn from the market, with, uh, you know, post-COVID issues and supply chain problems and, and conflict around the world, geopolitical tensions. I mean, you know, the basket of worries are, are, are pretty full. Um, and, you know, if we are going into a market environment that is going to be characterized by being low return and significantly more volatile than what we've been dealing with in the past. If that's the future, and it looks quite probable that that's what the short to midterm future will be, then as an end client, as an end investor, uh, you need to have your money managed in a way that can use that volatility beneficially to drive your return. Um, and that just hasn't been the case. So you know, you need a business, in my humble opinion, that has all the risk frameworks, all, all the regulatory compliance that, that is absolutely expected and, and should be there, but still has the ability to give its investment managers some autonomy to allow them to use their experience positively to, to benefit clients uh, and to be active with their investments, you know, uh, and try and make the volatility, as I say, uh, generate return for them, because that's what's going to be needed if if the market's not doing it for you. Mm, oh, no, completely. So I guess what you mentioned there, investment management as a principle, if that gets constrained, then it does have an impact on clients, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there are going to be some uncomfortable um experiences um you know I, I don't mean to be overly critical about what's happened because the reasons that have, have driven the change um are there for everyone to see and, and, and acknowledge um but all i would say is that sort of ultra low cost ma mass market um supposedly sort of discretionary investment proposition is almost like a relic of of, of the past it was it's like when they change a regulation in sport, you know, and, and that that Grand Prix car or that particular mm. cricket ball or whatever it may be, you know, was was the thing. And then regulation changes and suddenly it's obsolete. Mm. And, I, and I kind of feel that about a lot of the MPS solutions, a lot of the sort of passively dominated solutions, the ultra low cost investment solutions. Um I think I think the regulation has changed on them, not in a financial sense, but I think the economic era has changed 
and they are going to struggle um, if we have this low return volatile period because um, they're just not equipped to be managed in the way that's required and even if they were managed in the way they were required they could never charge such a low fee as, as they do which kind of takes us full circle to you know how do we get the end consumer back to that mindset of assessing performance net of fees rather than fixating on the headline fee and that's where the advisor comes in absolutely yeah absolutely they they are they are what what businesses like ours relies on they are yeah. um the conduit between you know the investment call face and the client relationship and i think it's um it's it's really important and when those advisors are, are doing the, their due diligence about which investment managers to use or to recommend for their clients or to integrate within portfolios, size and strength, there are different aspects of that. It's not just a positive, the bigger and stronger you are, that that's a nat naturally a positive. And I think you've really brought a lot of those themes out today. Unfortunately, we've just run into extra time. And the referee, we've got all these sporting analogies today. Referee has just blown his whistle. So, you know, like Alan Wynne Jones, you know, our great rugby captain, I'm going to have to retire us today. But to say a very, very big thank you to you, Richard, for, for coming on, having a talk about what I think is a really interesting situation. And, and like you say, there's no one answer to it. One size does not fit all. And it's just the more we talk about it, the better. So thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Sue. It's been a real pleasure and, uh, and thank you for the invitation once again. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.